You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, this morning, um, I want to have someone read the text for us. And the person that I've chosen to read the text is Monica Trevino. Monica, here's a microphone for you. Um, Now, before she reads, just so you know, Monica has served as the director of outreach. Uh, Not Well, she has done many things, but she's doing connect. She's like, am I doing that? (laughs) Connecting ministry. And as many of you know, she's tried to be so creative. Like, how do you connect a church when we have to wear masks? Or sometimes we're all in lockdown and we've done parking lot events and all kinds of different things. So she's been trying her best and has done a great job trying to be creative. The reason I asked Monica Tree today is you're going to find out that the Apostle Paul gets kind of salty in this passage. And I was like, I got to have Monica Trevino read this passage. And so, Monica. Awesome. Um, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take the hold of that which for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Monica. I appreciate it. Well, this morning, Paul is going to address an important issue that is as significant and important now as it was 2,000 years ago when he first wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. And I'm going to try my best to try to describe to you why it's an important issue, and I'm going to try to do it my best from my own personal experience. My own personal experience was when I was in about third grade, up until third grade, I was going to public school as a kid. And sometime around the middle of my third grade year, my Christian parents took me and my two brothers, my older brother Mark and my younger brother Paul, and they took us out of public school and they put us in a private Christian school. And my mom and dad 
what they communicated to us, and I, I always felt really good about my mom and dad were trying to be really good about communicating with us about what we're doing as a family and big events and things like that. It's a pretty big event to go to a new school to make new friends. And they told us it was because they were concerned that they didn't feel like we were going to get as good an education in public school as they felt like academically we would get in a private school. But I also picked up, there was an emotional landscape behind it. And I picked up from them a strong feeling of fear about the world, the world, which um, I don't know. I just, I picked up this feeling from my parents that the best way to protect against the dangers of the world, which in the early 1970s was long hair for boys and uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Dangers that I also kind of picked up, these were dangers that the world had in its powers, in its arsenal, that some had had more power to drag me down than Jesus had the power to lift me up. I just sort of picked that up. It was like that was sort of the thing. And so the only solution that I picked up emotionally was to run from the world and run and hide inside of some kind of Jesus bubble. Now, I, what I want to be really careful, well, parents, don't, you don't have to email me this email. I'm just going to tell you in advance. I am not saying that any parent who puts their child in a private Christian school is doing exactly what I experienced. I'm just trying to tell you, this was my experience. When I went to high school in this Christian school, it really ratcheted up the fears. It was almost like once, once your hormones kicked in, then they really ratcheted up fear as well as their presentation of their answers for how they could help you solve those fears. This was always on display. They always, had, they always had this week called Spiritual Emphasis Week. And it was pretty nuts. Through junior highs all the way through high school, they would literally like rearrange the entire week academically so that we could spend more than a few hours in a chapel-like setting. And they would bring in all these great communicators. And I was thinking about it this week. I was like, I will give them that credit. They were great communicators from all the big camps in California and Southern California, really effective communicators. And they were brought in to try to somehow get us oversexed teens right with Jesus during Spiritual Emphasis Week. And in those times, they talked me into being afraid that maybe I wasn't as right with Jesus as I thought I was before Spiritual Emphasis Week started. They, um, they talked me into fear of the world, fear of rock stars, fear of albums. They even told me during Spiritual Emphasis Week that Secular record executives had shrines to Satan in the back of their office where they called in demons into every rock and roll album. So to be afraid of the world and to be afraid of movies and to be afraid of liberals and more liberal Christians and to be afraid of the Russians. I'm not, I'm not I'm, this is true. I know you can laugh, but this is what I was being told. And so I, basically what they told to me is they always assured me, though, that if I listened to them, and yeah, they did mention the Bible quite a bit, but it was mostly about them, and I said no where they told me to say no, and I hated the people and the things they told me to hate, and I said yes where they told me to say yes, then the purity of how well I thought the way they told me to think and the purity of how well I did what they told me to do, that was with my assurance, that's going to keep me safe from the world 
And that was going to assure my standing with Jesus. I discovered at a pretty early age how easy it is to listen to people who really aren't about helping me know Jesus and his amazing grace. But they're actually really about trying to ignite my fears so that they could present their version of Jesus, a not-so-Jesus version of Jesus that they claim this is going to solve your fears. So I have to ask you a question. And this has been more than two years in the making. Have you, in some way, over the course of this time, fallen for fear? Anywhere in your life? How have you, in some way, fallen for fear and a version of Jesus and a version of following Jesus that someone told you is going to fix those fears? This issue we're going to talk about this morning, it is as old as the Bible, and it is as relevant as this moment right now today. There's always been, and there are today, voices who want you to think they know. They know. They are voices who are going to agree with your deeper fears. Because we all have them. We're human. There's things that we are afraid of. And they're going to come along and they're going to agree with those fears. And they're going to come along and then want to amplify those fears. And they're going to preach, yes, be very afraid of not shunning and not hating the wrong things and the wrong people. Preaching, you need to be very afraid of not doing the right things. You need to be very afraid because you might not be as safe as people are telling you are. In fact, we're preaching at you, you're not safe. You're not safe at all. And you may not be as safe and secure with God as you would like to think you are. People who are voices who agree with your fears and then cater to your pride by giving you their recipe to follow. A recipe which will tell you this will assure you of a secure standing with God. It will assure you safety against the world that's coming to take you away. And it will assure you of your best life now. And all you have to do is listen to us, think the way we're telling you to think, and live the way we're telling you to live. Although, if you watch their lives three to four years later, they're not even doing what they're preaching you should do. Today we're continuing this study, Stand Firm, Living the Joyful, Indestructible Life, because we cannot fall for this kind of stuff. Not this church, not any church, who wants to call in the name of Jesus. Scripture, let's just get into what God's Word says about all of this. Paul addresses this issue of the real Jesus versus a tainted version of Jesus. The real gospel versus some tainted version of the gospel, which shows up in the places you would least expect it to show up. And he begins by saying these words to us in this passage that Monica read to us. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He begins to address this issue by saying that the real source of a believer's safety, the real source of our joy, the real source of our contentment is our Lord Jesus for who he is in reality of who he is and the abundant life that he in reality is offering to us. That is where we rejoice. And with that in mind, Paul reviews the difference 
between the real Jesus and a tainted version of Jesus, the real gospel and a tainted version of the gospel. And he does it in order to protect his people. And even it's funny how Paul writes it. He says, this doesn't bother me at all to have to repeat this again. And let me just say, as your pastor, it does not bother me at all to repeat this again. It's so important. And here's where Paul gets salty. Monica, thank you for reading this passage. Paul gets salty with this word. He says this, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. I mean, talk about getting spicy. Where's this coming from? If you read the book of Acts, and you read Philippians, because we've already kind of run into some of this, and you read Paul's other letters, Paul faced this constant battle against passionate, and we've got to give them to him for this. They were passionate, but you can be passionate for the wrong things. Passionate Jewish Christians who f- were fighting in the first century, the first days of the church, to try to convince the entire church that the assurance of people's full salvation, which is a good thing, right? To have the people of Jesus be assured of their full salvation. They were fighting to convince them that the assurance of that was to believe in Jesus plus mutilate your body, circumcision, plus Jewish rituals, plus keeping Jewish holy days, plus, plus, plus. That's what they were passionate about. Jesus plus, 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 plus. And Paul named the group earlier. Remember when we studied it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17? He called them as those who stir up trouble. And he calls them out. Here's my words of what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, there are dogs. And by the way, there are dogs out there today. Who will actually go so far as to tell you to mutilate your body. Circumcision. So that you can feel more secure against your fears. And they're going to teach you to put all of your confidence in what you're doing to your body and how you behave and how you think. And their dog teaching has nothing to do with the glorious reality of Jesus and his salvation that he offers by mercy and grace. And this leads Paul into what I would kind of call a comparative analysis, which I think is a good comparative analysis for us to see in God's word. Between confidence in the flesh, what I'll call dog teaching, and confidence in Jesus Christ alone, which is Pauline teaching, the teachings of the apostles. So let's take a look at what does Paul say. First of all, he talks about, let's talk about confidence in the flesh. You look at your Bible, verses 4 through 8. Paul says, yeah, let's talk about that. And let me use my own life is essentially what he says, because that was my life project for a long time. He says, if anyone has a claim about confidence in the flesh, I'll take you on any day of the week, you passionate people who are the Jesus plus, 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 plus people. I, 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 I have put more confidence in it than anyone who's in this argument. I was circumcised on the eighth perfect day, according to Levitical law. There's a perfect day in the Levitical law for a male child to be circumcised. That was me. I'm from Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm proud of it, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning if you want to check my whole ancestry from Ancestry.com, pure Jewish line all the way back. 
I'm part of the Pharisee group. And if any of you know anything about the Jewish religion, there's all kinds of different sects. And everybody knows that the Pharisee sect is the one that is the most committed to strict adherence to the Torah, the laws of Moses. I was part of that group. And he said, and I was so zealous about the Torah, the law, that I got committed to violence, physical violence against followers of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And I paid such meticulous attention to the requirements of the Torah, the law, that no one looking into my life from the outside could have any way accused me of having failed to keep that law. I did it. But whatever so-called gain... That confidence in the flesh gave Paul. In reality, he goes on and says, it's a complete loss. Trusting in his human performance, which was Paul's previous life project, failed. It completely failed to help him make any progress in transformation from the inside out. Especially when he was comparing it to the transformation he was experiencing of intimately knowing the person, the reality of Jesus Christ as Savior of his life and as Lord of his life. And in the end, whatever this gain was, confidence in the flesh, he uses one word and it's quite powerful. It is garbage. That's what your English translation says. Some of it says uh, Trash. Others have said, oh, this word means a pile of dung or, well, I'm a pastor. I can't use that word. But you know what I'm talking about. On the side, outside with coffee, I'll use that word, but I won't hear. Well, well, it's a pile of dung. Actually, here's the thing. It's the word, you can look it up. It's the word in Greek, skubalon, skubala. And it's actually worse than pile of dung. It's really bad. Do you know when you pick up a garbage pail can outside of your house, one of those old ones, the, the circular ones that used to have the, that ring around the outside, and it had had a lot of garbage over the years? Remember when you'd pick that thing up and you would see the slimy corner where the maggots are growing and eating? There's your scubalon. Scubalon, scubala, in the end, confidence in the flesh is nothing more than disgusting, dry heave inducing maggot slime. How's that for an image? And yet, how many people in churches are still living that stupid scubalon project? Paul goes on, he says, well, let's take a look at humble confidence in Christ, verses 9 through 14. Totally different thing. It's about being found in Christ, is what he says. What does he mean when he says, I want to be found in Christ? He's talking about being brought into a radically secure relationship with God. And then transformed as a result of that relationship with the Lord. And, and to be brought into this relationship, not because we have earned it. Uh-uh, not nowhere close. But because it has been given as a gift, and out of that just amazing gratitude for the gifts, we love Jesus for who he really is, and we trust Jesus for everything that he offers to us. That's what it means to be found in Christ. And it is about experiencing the resurrection power. And you know where resurrections happen? In cemeteries. Where we have nothing, we're dead. 
And we experience Christ's capacity to bring about resurrection in the cemetery of weakness and in the cemetery of suffering. We experience that power of Jesus and we experience the transformation of the entirety of ourselves, which is the whole reason Jesus took a hold of us in the first place to render this beautiful transformation in us and for us. And Paul says that is not garbage. His word for it in the passage is that's a prize. That's the prize. For Paul to be drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord, to be able to enter into this relationship of mercy and grace with one's whole heart and then to be transformed by it. And in that transformation process over the course of one whole lifetime, you're being transformed into like this creature. C.S. Lewis says, we are becoming creatures that if we saw that person in eternity, we would be almost tempted to worship them, being transformed by God's mercy and grace into creatures who can abide with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever in his eternity and to enjoy the joy of that. Do you see Paul's comparative analysis clearly here? Confidence in any sort of fleshly garbage gospel proves to be dry heave-inducing maggot slime. But confidence in Jesus Christ proves to be the ultimate prize. Now, here's the important thing we got to think about. For us, it means we need to know the difference between the gospel and the garbage that gets presented as the gospel. And, and, And this is for the rest of your life, by the way. This is not just, oh, the day that I, I, I heard that message up at summer camp or when that camp speaker talked about it and then I, it kind of made sense to me then and then I don't have to think about it anymore. No, 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 no. No, for the rest of your life, the difference between the gospel and the garbage that's constantly being thrown in and presented as the gospel. The gospel or the good news is described in all kinds of interesting, in many different ways in the Bible. In in fact, if you were to ask me, Pastor Andy, is there like one verse that I could memorize and then that's the gospel? And I would have to say, actually, no. There's lots of different ways that the gospel is presented in Scripture. I could tell you this, if you want the simplest form, I think, is when Jonah, the prophet, was trying to run from God because he didn't want God's good news to be shared with violent people in Assyria. So he was running away, and God says, no, you don't get to run away, and he gets swallowed by a fish. And while he's inside of the fish in the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, he says, here's the simplest form of the gospel. Salvation is from the Lord. There's your gospel. Salvation is not from me. It's not from others. Salvation is from the Lord. And that is the gospel. That means the good news is not going to be found in any message that is in any way tapping into fear. And then is going to rely on and teach some form of self-salvation, self-made abundant life. The good news is that as rebellious as we are, And as stubborn as we are in our preference to make life on our terms, God still loves us. And he's mercifully gifted to us rescue from sin and its deadly consequences. And a rescue for living a life of love, a life that can stand up to anything the broken world will bring our way. And that good news is for you right now. And there might be somebody in here watching online 
who you've never heard that good news and you've never for your own self made the response to say, so wait a minute, it's not what I do that earns me this. It's, it's that God is giving a gift. The answer is yes. And today could be your day of salvation to just go, well, what I'm understanding of this, I want in Jesus. I, I want that life. But you know what? It's not just for those who haven't made that response. It's for all of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. This is a reminder to cleanse out the garbage. And the church of Jesus Christ at this time of 2022 needs some cleansing of some garbage gospels. In fact, just so we're clear about this, let's do our own little comparative analysis between garbage gospels and the gospel. Here's, let's talk about garbage, the garbage gospels. This is the oldest dirt Scubalon gospel. It shifted through the, through the times from when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, all through church history, right up to today. But let's just look at some common threads. The first one about a garbage gospel is let's talk about the main emotion. The main emotion, 2,000 years old, is always going to be fear. Be afraid! Voices that are going to tap into your fear, and then they're going to amplify it. Amplify it and make it really big. So here's the fears. You are not as safe as you think. You're not safe. You're not safe. Who told you you're safe? You're not safe. You are threatened. There is scarcity in the world. Everything's scarce. you got to hoard for yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, it's all scarcity out there. What do you, what do you do with thinking that you're secure in any kind of way? It's scarcity out there. They, them, they. Whoever the they is, oh, through church history, they, whoever they are, they want to steal. They want to steal your safety. They want to steal your freedom. They want to steal your security. They're going to tap into whatever fear is real in there, and then they're going to magnify it fear. And then here's your assurance for those fears. The assurance is you following them. You following them. What you got to do is you listen carefully to what the voices tell you. And you do what those voices say. And if you can be pure enough in thinking and believing what the voices teach you to think and do what the voices teach you to do, then you can be assured that you're good with God. Then you can be assured you're safe. Then you can be assured that you're free. Then you can be assured blah, 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 blah. Fear is the emotion. The assurance is you, it's on you, follow them. Does that sound like the good news to you? Let's look at the gospel. This is the indestructible life Jesus gives us as pure gifts. The main emotion in the gospel, it ain't fear, it's love. Love. God's unconditional love for us moved him to send his son Jesus for our rescue, which when you get loved like that, that arouses within the human species an inborn desire to receive that, to be unconditionally beloved, and then to be invited into loving God in return. It's love. By the way, isn't it somewhere in the Bible where it says his perfect love casts out fear? A little casting out of the fear? 
And over a lifetime, this love, it transforms us into what Paul's referenced in the early chapters of the book of Philippians. We become people who are shining stars, who love God and love our neighbors. Over our lifetimes, our neighbors cease to be they and them anymore. They become neighbors. And we love them as we are learning to love ourselves better. The emotions love in the real gospel. And the main assurance, it's not you following them. It's Jesus saving you, saving me. Jesus does not give us what we deserve. That's called his mercy. Jesus pours out to us all of the riches of all that he deserves as the beautiful son of God. That's called his grace, that we have a share in that. Jesus gives us this radically safe relationship with him which, and the ability in that relationship to rely on his, trustworthy towards us, his trustworthiness towards us even when we wander and even when we fall for garbage gospels. See, I want you to understand this. This is really important. We have to, we must continually be diligent to know the difference. I mentioned it earlier. It's not like that one time at camp when you responded to Jesus or you were at a Christmas Eve service and you responded to Jesus or you were in your room and your parent led you to Jesus and you go, oh, I got it. I don't have to think about it anymore. No. We got to continually be diligent to know the difference, to not allow voices that are going to come along and try to inflate your fears. And then get distracted and derailed by garbage gospels that sound close, but they're not the gospel. But to instead fall so much more intimately in love with Jesus, 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 and experience the fullness of his gracious transformation of us that we become because we're being transformed by him. We become Teflon to garbage gospels. Now, here's where this takes us. You know, during that season of my life of being safely tucked away in a Jesus bubble that my parents felt was better for us, and I give them credit. They really wanted to try to do what was better for us. Safely tucked away in a Jesus bubble where the word Christian was an adjective for every part of my life. Christian church, Christian rock, Christian music, Christian radio, Christian books, Christian everything. Along in that season of my life came a very loud voice tapping into fears and clear solutions for Christian parents. (laughs) It was this thing called basic youth conflicts. This dude who apparently felt like he knew everything there was to know about youth, held these giant conferences, the giant American arenas, like where the Warriors used to play in Oakland. And they would fill those arenas with Christian parents. And they would hand out these thick notebooks. I remember my parents bringing home this notebook, this thick, with beautifully graphic design note pages of everything that that could fix their oversexed teens. And my parents went because they loved their boys. They loved us. And they wanted us to be safe and to live effective lives that could thrive with Jesus. And one of the things they brought back, I remember, was this concern about Rock beats, rock beats, rock beats. Even in Christian rock. 
And what they were told, and, you know, I want to, I want to be fair. I, this is what I picked up of what I, they seemed to think they were told. Okay? I want to be fair. But what they were told was that rock beats were demonic because they came from Africa. Not, but not just because they came from Africa, but because they were always used as witch doctor beats in demonic witchcraft practices. And I mean, you know, I give my parents credit. Dang, I, I wouldn't want my kids doomed to being exposed to any of that kind of stuff. Ah! But thank God, my dad and my mom, they were willing to talk it out with us. Because I remember my brother Mark and I, later on in later years, my brother and I actually ended up being in a rock band together. But music stirred us. Music said truths to us that sometimes we couldn't pick up from the Bible or from, uh, from church. And so I remember... My brother Mark and I processing it with my mom and dad. Conversation went something like, well, wait, wait a minute. D- doesn't all music have a beat? Mozart has a beat. There's a beat in there. Even He might even use a timpani drum once in a while, right? I mean, that has a beat. And wait, wait a minute. Why, why is this guy who's doing all this talking and giving you this fat notebook, why is he talking about beats from Africa all the time. What's happening there? What, because isn't there beats in Japanese music? Isn't there beats in like Chinese music? Isn't there, isn't there beats in every kind of music? And by the way, isn't that rock beat thing that kind of here, isn't that what Mark and I hear when we've heard the ch- music in the black church? Wouldn't it make the music in the black church just as evil as the witchcraft in Africa? Something's not right here. Man, thank God my parents agreed. But I was learning at an early age that, first, of course, I need to be good at sifting out the trash, the garbage that the world offers as its version of the gospel and abundant life. Of course. But just as importantly, and this is going to surprise some of you, I'm going to say this sentence. Just as importantly, I got to sift out the scubalon that church culture churns out as its version of gospel. You got to be on the alert for that stuff. And it's happening right now in real time, here and now. Know the difference between the gospel and the garbage, the scubalon, the maggot slime that's pushed off as gospel. And it's as old as the first century. And so here's what this is a call to. This is an appeal from Jesus to us, is to be people who take out the trash in your life. And I'm not talking about like worldly trash. I'm talking about where is it sifting in and in your mind it's being vetted as coming from Jesus and it's scubalon. We need to be ever vigilant in knowing the reality of the loveliness of Jesus versus the counterfeits. It's, it's, in my life at least, it is not the obvious trash that usually gets me. You know, the obvious trashy dead ends that are offered in a broken world, they're so much easier to steer around because often they're so much easier to see the ultimate dangers of it. It's the trash that passes itself off as the right answer. We hidden inside of a, a bubble that has Jesus' name on it, that's, that's the one that sneaks up and gets you. Poisoning faith, robbing you of abundant life in Jesus, the abundant life that he intends for us. Look, here's the fact. It is 
extremely arguable how much I'm actually getting to shepherd you and pastor you and disciple you on every given week. It's a huge argument how much I'm actually able to accomplish for the kingdom of God on your behalf. And here's why. I get one hour. That's it. And even within this hour, I get 35, 40 minutes of that hour. And maybe if I'm lucky, you might tune in once a week when I post up a two and a half minute video devotion of which probably most of you don't even know I do it. So I don't have that much time. But more than the competition that the Apostle Paul had in the first century, in 2022, all of you walk out of here and you're being exposed to stuff left and right all the time constantly. You've got talking heads that you prefer, cable news channels. You've got radio shows you prefer, podcasts you prefer, voices you prefer, and you're being overwhelmed with it. I get 35 minutes a week, period. That's it. Dangerous stuff. Stuff that may or may not be all that good for you for the rest of the week. These voices can be even more dangerous to your faith because a lot of times the ones that you're putting in there, in your mind, you think, well, they're kind of vetted, right? They're kind of, they kind of come out of the Jesus bubble, which you think gives you permission to turn off your brain. You got to be careful to turn off your brain and from within that vetted space that your heart and your mind sort of seed over to them, they can poison you with scubalon, agreeing with your fears and then amplifying it. And then talking to you, probably even more shouting at you, that their way of thinking and behaving, it will fix your fears. That's right, Natalie. It's funny. We are invited into a pure and simple devotion of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Where his love casts out our fear. And where Jesus teaches us the rhythms of grace and the shape of a real abundant life. These are questions from the Holy Spirit to you. You have to answer them. First question. How do you need to assess your exposure to scubalon in your life right now and chuck it? Stop. Dead. Today. Second question. How do you need to take seriously your own deeper understanding of real gospel existence and live in the rich rhythms of grace and the life of following the real Jesus? What's that got to start looking like for you? I, I only get 35 minutes. You've got the rest of your week, and Jesus leaves it to you. Remember what Paul said a couple weeks ago? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's on you. Paul says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And I think, I was thinking about this week, you know what? I think rejoicing ends up actually in practice being about the places in my life where the ideas and the beliefs and the voices, that's the place I'm most often saying amen and amen to. The places in my life where I'm most often saying amen, amen, that's the place in my life I'm actually rejoicing. Are you most frequently saying amen and amen to garbage gospel voices on the radio, on your favorite talking heads and cable news and in your podcast? Are you, are you saying mostly amen and amen and you're like, oh my gosh, I think those are garbage gospels. My warning to you is watch it. Watch out. Or are you rejoicing in the Lord 
and saying amen and amen to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the shape of his message and his gospel that is described throughout the New Testament. I'm going to invite the Nye band, the Nye band to come on up. The Nye family um, to come on up. They're going to lead us in a great time of, of extended worship. But as they get set up, I, you know, I am beginning to believe, as hard as this time we've been in, I'm beginning to believe there's a reforming and a renewing that the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. For sure, it's happening in this church and in other churches and in the church worldwide. There's a renewing and a reforming, and it's so quiet, it's almost like it's the Holy Spirit even working. And it's rendering the church around the world something different out of this pandemic. The Spirit is very much revealing garbage gospels that are derailing believers, that are damaging people who think they are followers of Jesus but are actually part of a garbage gospel and are scaring the snot out of unbelievers away from Jesus and his church. That reforming, I, I got to say, I want to be, I want you to be, I want us all to be a part of the reforming and the renewing work of the Spirit of God. I want us, and I truly believe this is in your heart as well, I want us to be people with a pure and simple devotion to Jesus that helps us in love to not be damaging to other people, but in love to help us clear away the trash that damages us, that scares away unbelievers and keeps them from joining Jesus in the loveliness of what a good, healthy church can be in their lives. I want you to be able to do what Paul says in the passage. He says to be a person who can forget what is behind, to strain toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Jesus Christ. I want that for you. I want that for me. So know the difference between the gospel and the garbage that gets passed off as gospel. Be ever vigilant to take out the trash. Let's pray. Father God, I know I got a little long-winded here today, um, but maybe this was a message that needed a little more space and time. We ask that in our worship, your spirit would begin to speak to us about places where there's some trash that needs to go out, and we need to get back to a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. We need it. The people around us in our lives need it. Our neighbors need us to be that kind of person, and the world needs us to be that kind of person. Jesus, help us. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.